Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we begin our brand new series, Jesus Is. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, today is a good day, friends. We're beginning a brand new series called Jesus Is. Now, like in a room this size, I imagine if I asked all of us to finish that sentence, we'd probably have hundreds of different responses. But here's the deal. Uh, Whether you're curious about Jesus, whether you're skeptical about Jesus, whether you're new to Jesus or you've been following him for a long, long time, there's always more, I think, to discover about Jesus and learn from Jesus. So for the next five weeks, we're gonna kind of fill in this blank in five different ways, and our hope and prayer is not that you just learn more about Jesus, but that you would actually grow in closeness and intimacy with Jesus, and it is our sincere hope that God will do exactly that. But today is also a very good day for a different reason. Today, ladies and gentlemen, is Baptism Sunday. Come on. Now, we already have a whole bunch of people ready to go to be baptized today right in this service. But I want to tell you early because some of you, you are going to be a part of this service in a way that you hadn't planned either. I think that Baptism Sunday is not for a select few, but it's for all of us. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But let's, for now, let's dive into week one of Jesus is. And to do that, I thought we'd travel back in time a little bit to when we were teenagers. Uh, that may be a longer trip for some of you, but let's, let's go there emotionally to our teenage years, specifically the school cafeteria. Now, uh, I was homeschooled personally, so our school cafeteria looked more like this. Um, yeah, that's... And I was this kid right here, like just not having it. Just look at him not enjoying this scene at all. But that's maybe not most of your experience. Maybe some of you, when you think of a school cafeteria, it looks something more like this. The school cafeteria was a unique place, but I'm told that in most cafeterias, there was sort of this unpublished, unspoken seating chart based on groups, right? For example, you had the jocks, right? You always knew they were jocks because they were super athletic, usually kind of aggressive, and they were always wearing their leather jacket, uh, their leather jacket even in 80-degree weather, right? Um, next up, we have the debate team. The debate team, you could tell, was the debate team because they were always what? Debating. De- debating. You guys are awake. Well done. Uh, then we also have the math club. They were always going off on tangents. <clears throat> Thank you. We also have the band geeks. Any band geeks in the house today? <laughs> the band geeks were trying to convince themselves that the French horn was cool, right? That's, uh, we also have the nerds, which, let's be honest, the nerds are going to eventually rule the entire planet. Um, so be nice to a nerd. And then my favorite group to label is probably this group. Those who refuse to be labeled. Any, anyone? Okay, so quick show of hands. How many of you had a group? You, you had a table in your cafeteria. Yeah, if you lie here, you'll lie in other places too. That's right. <laughs> How many of you wish you could erase that from your memory altogether? Now, I, I, I sort of had a, a belief that um, once you graduated, 
like this sort of classification system would just go away. Um, but that's not the case. Is anyone here still filled with panic when you like get lunch and you have to go sit with people you don't know? Anyone else filled with anxiety? Like just two weeks ago, I was in a situation like that and I didn't know anybody. So I grabbed my lunch and I walked to a table and there was one open chair. And so I said, can I sit here? And someone from the table looked up and said, uh, no, that's reserved for friends. <laughs> to my face. <laughs> it's like, that is cold. And here's the thing about tables, though. Tables communicate who's included and who's not. And this may surprise you, but there were tables in Jesus' day as well. In fact, the Gospels record eight different dinner invitations that Jesus accepted. Three were with sort of like the misfits and the social outcasts. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Three were with friends and family. Five were with misfits and social outcasts. And some of you are like, is there any difference, really? <laughs> but one story from one of those dinners comes from a man named Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him, which is a big deal. For a rabbi to say to someone, follow me, had all sorts of nuance and complexity. He says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, who were sort of the religious leaders of this time, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So you can sort of begin to see two different tables sort of emerge in this story, can't you? Uh, the first table, we'll, we'll call them saints. And saints were, they're, they're the religious elite, right? They're masters of the law. And their piety enabled them to sort of look down everyone else's. They, they, it freed them up in their mind to hold themselves up over everyone else who didn't meet their standards. And when someone doesn't meet your standards, what do you do? You sit at a different table. But then over on this side, though, we have what we call sinners. Now, the sinners are predominantly tax collectors. And tax collector is a term that I think we often hear in Sunday school, but we don't have a whole lot of understanding about they were sort of like the worst traders in this culture. Imagine if someone in your neighborhood was stealing packages off your front porch and then were selling them on eBay. How would you feel about that person? Yeah, mostly just grumbles over here. Even worse yet, let's say that they were breaking into your house once a week, taking stuff from your house and then selling it at a local pawn shop. How many of you would be a bit frustrated? So tax collectors, as Jewish men working for the Roman government were considered the worst traders. They would charge the tax they were supposed to, but then they would squeeze people out for more. They were greedy, they were dishonest, they preyed upon the poor, and they did it all in the name of personal gain. So you have the sinners, the tax collectors, and then you have the saints, for lack of a better word. And in their attempt to hate sinners, they began 
to also hate everyone. So it makes sense that they're kind of baffled by Jesus, right? Like for them, they don't really understand it. So the Pharisees ask the disciples, why does Jesus always sit with those people at that table? Now, before we go and judge the Pharisees too harshly here, how often do we do this in our own life? We, we create systems and scales. We often, I think, create a rating system for sin that for today's purposes, we'll just call the badness scale. Now, the badness scale really is different for every person, I think. But I, let, let's assume that this is like the very best side of the badness scale, right? So we, we, have, we have just pure holiness, and then a little bit here we have like, like, like small sins, right? Like speeding or like little white lies or listening to Nickelback, stuff like that. Um, and we're sort of comfortable in, in this region here because it's sort of like, who, who does that harm? It's not that big of a deal. But when we cross this middle threshold, that, that's, that's where we start to judge people a little bit. So those are sort of the, the medium to large size sins. And then over here, these are like the, these are the supersized sins, right? Like, oh, I would never do that. That, that would never be my story. And, and what I've found is that if we're okay categorizing sin, we're often easy, easily convinced to categorize people too, right? Like over here, like we know that this, this side's like reserved for the holiest of the holy, right? Like here we put people like Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela and Dave Ferguson, pe- people like that, right? Like we, we don't assume we have a seat at that table, So we'd probably maybe see ourselves somewhere here. And then maybe all the way on the other side, we we would call that um, those people, right? Those people. And those people for you might be like the worst of the worst the history of the world has ever seen. But it might also be like people that we know in our own lives, right? Like someone who double-crossed you, a dishonest business partner, someone who broke your heart a neighbor that's always spewing hate. So we have those people, and and maybe on this side, we would just call these really, really ridiculously good people. And so where would you place yourself? Now, I know that there's probably some people in this room that you actually would place yourself in the those people camp. Like for you... Like, you're so filled with regret that you assume that's where you belong. Or maybe, maybe you fancy yourself a little bit of a, a bad boy, a little bit of a, a rebel. But my, my guess, though, is that most of us will put ourselves somewhere about here, right? I know I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm certainly not way over there. I mean, I'm basically a good person. Like maybe a, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of pride, a little bit of greediness. But the problem is that God doesn't have a badness scale. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, writes this. He says, there is, what's it say? No one righteous, not even one. And he goes on to say this. For, what's this word right here? All, everyone. For all have sinned, and falls short of the glory of God. Every single person 
that you know or don't know. When it comes to sin, there really only are two categories. There's Jesus, and then there's everyone else. Because God doesn't have a badness scale. And the caution for some of us, particularly those who think, well, I'm I'm a good enough person, is that our righteousness, our rightness, sometimes can be the very thing that keeps us from true intimacy with Jesus. Pastor Judah Smith puts it this way. He says, in reality, for many people, the greatest hindrance to receiving the grace of God is not their scandalous sins. It's not the thing that you think keeps you from God, the thing that maybe is popping in your head right now, the mistake you made, the wrong you did. He says the grace of God is not their scandalous sins, it's their, what's the word? Empty good deeds. It's for those of us that perhaps assume, I mean, I'm basically good enough on my own. When when Jesus grabbed a tray in that first century cafeteria, who did he sit with? He sat with the liars, the gossips, and the drunks. He pulled up a chair next to the gluttons, the cheaters, and the screw-ups. He sat with the sinners. Maybe the best news that I can give you today is that Jesus wants to be in relationship with sinners. He wants to be a friend to sinners. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus' love for us isn't based on our performance for him. Jesus' love and affection for us isn't based on how good a person we are how many good deeds we can do. His love for us is not based on our performance for him. It's not merit, it's mercy. His love for us never had anything to do with our worthiness. Never had anything to do with us earning, being worthy of his affection. As the Apostle Paul aptly reminds us, he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still trapped in our brokenness, in our sin, in our deceit, in our foolishness, fill in whatever blank you want. While that was still going on, Jesus, he didn't send a philosophy, a list of ideals, a book of law. He sends himself and dies so that we might live. That's scandalous. Because Jesus sees our sin. He sees it more clearly than even we do. He's not caught off guard by it. He's not oblivious to it. In fact, that's the very reason that he came in the first place. So I think think that truth leads us to both an invitation and a challenge. So first, the invitation. The invitation is this. You belong at Jesus' table. You belong there. You belong at Jesus' table. Maybe you're here and you've always thought Christianity was more about like some sort of moral code or or religious rite. And maybe you've never understood that being a Christ follower is ultimately being in relationship with Jesus. And if you've never understood that, today can be that day for you. 
Today can be that day. I don't think there's any better way to mark that decision than being, by being baptized. Ba- baptism is this marker event. We drive a stake into the ground and say, I'm starting a new life as a follower of Jesus. Baptism is, is this real beautiful reenactment that when we go under the water, we're reenacting Christ's death and burial. And when we come out of the water, we reenact his resurrection as new creations. If, if you've never publicly made that declaration, today is your day. Today is your day, even if you didn't plan on it. We're gonna celebrate baptism together in a moment. And we have a whole bunch of people that have already prepared to be baptized. But here's what I believe to be true. That God is stirring something in the hearts of those in this room. He's saying, today's your day too. Maybe your pulse is quickening. Maybe you're feeling some kind of nudge. Maybe you're freaking out and thinking, is he staring right at me? Today is your day. So maybe you're asking, I was baptized as a baby. Do I really need to do this? As best we can understand in the Bible, baptism was always a step of faith that a believer made. And so I would say that if you were baptized as a baby, being baptized as an adult doesn't discredit what your parents did. In fact, I think it affirms the decision, the path that they wanted for you all along. Some of you, maybe you're saying, I, I've been baptized before as an adult. What if I feel like I should do it again? I would say you don't need to. I mean, the first one took, right? But in a lot of ways, like, like a marriage recommitment ceremony can be a way of redeclaring, redriving that stake in the ground. Maybe, maybe you're filled with some regret or some shame or some guilt. You say, I want a fresh start. I want to start new today. Today can be that day. Maybe you're wondering, what about my kids in Kid City? I would love for them to be a part of this. Well, we, we thought of that too. In a little bit, we're, we're gonna bring all of our first through fifth graders up into the skybox so they can have the best view in the house to watch all of this unfold. Maybe you're thinking, I have family and friends who aren't here and I'd want them to see this. We thought of that too. We have some incredible photographers and they're gonna capture the entire experience. You can share it on social media or share it with your friends or family. Maybe you're thinking, I just didn't come ready for this. I don't want enough clothes. I don't have a towel. We got that covered too. We got shirts. We got shorts. We got hair dryers. We got makeup. We even got underwear. Like we've thought of everything. You'll look prettier leaving than when you got here today. We almost guarantee it. And I'll be honest, I... I often hear people say things like, well, don't I, don't I have to like have my life in order before getting baptized? And I would say a resounding, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Think about it. You, you don't get cleaned up first before you take a bath, right? You take a bath to get cleaned up. The invitation of Jesus Christ is come as you are. Baptism is not a declaration of I figured it out. I've arrived. It's a declaration that says I, I know that I'm not good enough. 
It's opting out of the rat race of trying to be holy enough, smart enough, righteous enough, and saying that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Regardless of whatever story brought you here today, you you belong at Jesus' table. You belong at Jesus' table, and today could be the day. Secondly, for those of us who have been baptized, I wanna issue to you a challenge. The challenge is this. Who do you need to welcome to your table? Who do you need to welcome to your table? The pattern of Jesus' life is that he, he was regularly sitting with and befriending people that no one else would. Because it's, let's be honest, it's easy to sit at tables with people who look and talk and think and act just like us, isn't it? That part's easy. But what would happen if we began to love other people the way that Jesus does? What if we commit together to come alongside people, to link arms with people, to walk with people, even and especially those who look and talk and think nothing like us. When we reach across a social divide, we're extending a hand that can help other people find their way back to the God who longs to know them, who longs to be in relationship with them. Jesus is a friend of sinners. I I know that that sounds really simple, but its reality is profound. Some of you perhaps have never actually heard that. Jesus desires not just a part of you, not just lip service, but your whole heart, your whole being. Nothing will ever transform us. Nothing could ever sustain us. And nothing can ever empower us like a friendship with Jesus. Jesus invites us, each of us, to sit at his table And there is room for all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you for that kind of love. Remind us again of how undeserving we are to know you at all. We thank you, God, that you pursue us, that you seek us, that not out of obligation or guilt, but out of love and affection for us, You gave us yourself. You died on a cross and rose again so that we might have new life. We thank you and we love you, Father, for that kind of affection, for that kind of love, that you don't hold us off at a distance, but that you come near as our friend. We thank you, God, for that. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.